Are you looking for heavenly things or are you looking for earthly treasures? This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Eric. My name is Eric. And Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> oh, this sort of struck me funny that Eric was acknowledging his name. <laughs> you just called Matt. <laughs> yeah, my name is Eric. I was hoping the other two of you would remember. <laughs> oh man <laughs> uh, <clears throat> kicking it off with uh you know with uh, sincerity and a serious attitude that's <laughs> that's the way i roll so we're good <laughs> just uh i don't know we've been sitting here kind of lamenting the lack of snow i mean here we are in colorado and and uh just barely well it's not winter time yet but it is we're all recording in december and it's just dry 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 and the weather is just very odd. My son was supposed to have his first solo cross-country flight today, which by cross-country doesn't mean a whole lot. He would have been flying from uh, the Broomfield, which is essentially the Denver area, down to uh, Pueblo. So, I mean, that's as a bird as a bird flies, uh, I don't know, probably a little over 100 miles, and he would have to make a couple of landings there. He was supposed to do that today, but they said the the winds were too high and they had to come back around. It's funny because I'm looking out the out the window and there is, I mean, there is like no breeze at all now. But uh, I guess where the around the airports it was different. So I don't know. Well, the weather high. I yeah, mean, it, that high. doesn't have to be like at ground level. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't. Know. They said it was like 30 knots or something like that. Which you know, I know how to tie a knot, but I have no idea what a knot means in wind. That's but, breezy. Um, yeah. And uh, but just enough that because I think he said they're not supposed to fly. He'd have to tell me, but I think he they're not allowed at his level, not allowed to fly over ten knots. So thirty was just way too high. But anyway, I don't know. Strange weather things happening in December and uh, I don't know oddities. Anyway, uh, that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about today. We are studying this week chap uh, Isaiah chapters fifty nine through sixty three. Now. Would you guys agree with me in saying that we've seen quite a shift from the beginning of Isaiah, even into this week's reading? This week's reading almost felt like a a, a big shift where it started out with lots of the book, I should say, started out with lots of warning. Uh, there's judgment coming down. Uh, the Assyrians are coming in. Israel is going to get uh, it's going to be taken away. Uh, you're going to get dispersed. And then it kind of went more this week. It seemed more um, has a redemption kind of quality, a a yeah. good news kind of quality uh, to it that, mm -hmm. you know, what? don't lose. Don't lose faith and hope because I'm still with you. There's yeah. still a way. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, there was, you know, there was the judgment, then there was a little bit of this is what you ought to be doing, and and then this week it seemed like a whole lot more of God saying, I'm here for you, I'm here for you, and we're going to make things better. That's the way I was seeing things. Yep. So Isaiah 59, it begins um, with kind of a, a recognition that the Israelites have been separated from God in ways that they maybe didn't realize and didn't uh, certainly wouldn't hope for. And certainly God didn't hope for. And I was kind of seeing verse one there kind of as a, almost as a rebuke to the way Sennacherib had been talking to them uh, during the siege where Sennacherib was saying, don't think your God can save you because he hasn't saved any of these other gods. And now you got God saying, don't think I can't save you. But your sins have separated you from him, from God. That's kind of a big spot to start here where you're not in a good place. It's not because God can't save you. It's just because you've, you've walked away. 
the chapter kind of continues there saying that no one is calling for justice and no one is looking for truth. Uh, basically, you really you can't find it if you're not looking for it. And this is where this is where the society had kind of fallen to. And this is one of those places where I think we can see we can see the reflection of our own. How do you expect to how do you expect to find this if you're not really looking for it? it this reminded me these first couple of verses where it says, it's, you know, the. Um, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That reminded me of David saying, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not hear me, right? And then, so it's it's an, in, like, it, this is not one of those unknowing sins. This is knowing sin. And it does impact God's interaction with us. And he, and he, and they go on to describe, like Isaiah goes on to describe, like, this is what's happened, and this is what's happened, and this is what's happened. Like, there's no mystery how this has come to be. Right. This, uh, that the sins we see here in Isaiah, most of chapter 59, this is not an accidental thing. This isn't a, like, oh, I just lost my willpower in the moment, and I sin this isn't it at all this is this is nope we're going there and you can't stop us we're we're just going to go ahead and move forward in sin um and it's it's gone from private sins to public sins to civic you know in 14 truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter and we feel that we have government problems now uh this is apparently a very old problem this shouldn't have been this shouldn't have been a surprise but i you know we can remember the times where a, a king would come across somebody would come across the law it's tucked away in a corner of the temple somewhere and everybody would be amazed that that uh, they hadn't had it all along um but that was because everybody just kept pushing it away but i think it's too is when i read through this i just kept seeing and there is no justice, but I keep looking and it's it's every act of life almost, you know, and I think it's when times are tough and you you say you want justice, but you're not putting forth those qualities for justice. You're not doing what you need to do, but you're wanting justice. And I think that this is just repeated over and over. And it's like bringing to light once again what you're doing to part from me. Mm hmm. But you're asking for justice. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like you're asking for the results of something, but you aren't willing to yes. do the thing to make the results. It's kind of like, hey, guys, hey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, when you get into uh, this, the second portion of that chapter there, it, there is a somewhat of an acknowledgement of it, it seems, because... You know they're recognizing that justice is a long way, but it, that it's because they have so many sins, and, and and they're so mired in it that as they as they try to look for justice, they can't find it. They don't know what it looks like anymore. I think maybe that's part of it. They just really at this point they just don't even know what it looks like anymore. Um, you know they're like we kind of know that things aren't right. We kind of know that. We'd like things to be better, but at this point, we have no idea. We don't have a clue anymore. I think it's building on on top of each other, because if you look at verse 12, for your transgressions are multiplied before you. I think it's just, it's it's the snowball effect. It starts slowly, and then pretty soon it just it just gets out of control. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they do, at least at this point, it's, they are starting to confess these sins. And, uh, you know, hoping it's like they have a desire to do something for for them at this point. Now, they've gotten to the point where the people who are trying to turn away from it, it says they are prey to the people who remain in it. You know, when you try to do when you try to do right, when you try to be the guy who wants to make a change, when you try to be the guy or the gal, not to be exclusion, exclude. Uh, exclusive uh, i'm on not that sensitive but thank you <laughs> okay you're a cool guy karen <laughs> but um when you try to be the one who who's who pulls away and makes the change and then everybody the, the, the people around you 
uh, just want to pull you back, bring you back into it, tear you down. That's what we're talking about here is you're a society that does not want to hear that there's a need for change. It does not want to participate in that change. I think, Tracy, you mentioned something about some crabs trying to get out of a bucket one time. And that's kind of the vision I've got here is that as you know, somebody tries to crawl out and make something better. Everybody's just trying to pull them right back down and, and, and tear them down. Yeah, this is, this is a, it's a, is a um, old but consistent problem we read in our family worship the story of Cain and Abel. Abel offers the sacrifice according to God's instructions, and Cain decides he's going to kind of do it his own way, and Cain's sacrifice is not accepted. And not only does this make Cain mad at God, but it makes Cain mad at Abel, because Abel has done the right thing, and Cain has not. And so um, Cain hates Abel. And this is, I mean, God's prophets, most of them met uh, an, an end from the very people they were sent to save. And this this idea is, I can 100% assure you, alive and well, even in uh, Christian churches today. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate, but true. And uh, occasionally you will see somebody try to try to say, hey, we should be making a difference and or doing something different. And there's people to tear them down. It happens everywhere. But fortunately, the chapter goes on and talks about how God is displeased with the lack of justice. And so he steps in and he is going to bring salvation himself using with his own righteousness. Now, that's an interesting concept. Of course, you know, we're all we're all Christians here and we've all studied enough and believe that that God is the only one who really is righteous, um, but that he that he will bring the salvation. He'll he'll bring himself through his himself. Now, chapter 17, I thought was cool and or not chapter 17, but verse 17, I thought was cool. And it was one of those verses where I'm like, how have I not noticed this before? It talks about God starting to put on his armor and. You know, I'm reading this going, I, I've read this in Ephesians. This is <laughs> Paul, Paul talks about the armor of God. Oh. N- never occurred to me that God actually had to put the armor on himself, <laughs> you know, but, um, but, you know, figuratively speaking, he does. And he does that here. He, it's, he's putting the armor on uh, because he's got a job to do. And, and uh, I just thought that was like really, really cool here that yeah, we see gonna- God putting that on. Yeah, and 18 is just like, according to their deeds, he will repay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound a million miles away from, you know, the wages of sin is death. And we forget that the Bible that all of the disciples read and studied and knew was this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we kind of think that they just made it up on the fly and it became this brand new thing, kind of like God Um, 2.0. It wasn't like that. This was... They saw this as a continuation of what was happening in the Old Testament, which takes us kind of unavoidably to verse 20. And a Redeemer, capital R, will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Kind of far from the universal, like, and he's going to just make everybody his disciple. It's like, no, the ones who turn from transgression. But this is Redeemer, capital R. And we see this in the rest of our reading today, 59 through 63, there are, it's just kind of like lightning flashes of prophecies of the coming Messiah that just show up and are like, oh, this has to be something not in Isaiah's day. This speaks to something far future. And this is one of the first ones in our reading today that I noticed. See, and I think, too, this is the the part, if we hit like 19, like the end of 19, this is the transition to it. When the enemies come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against them. Then it jumps into the whole Redeemer with a capital R and saying, you know what? I'm going to put my covenant in your mouth, in all your descendants' mouths from this time and forevermore. This is, I think, our whole transition now from, okay, this is what your sin is getting you. This is where at the point you're at, I'm going to get on my armor. I'm coming for you. I'm going to get you back. And now it's now we're breaking into the whole the um, the redemption part of it and the good news and the salvation. I think this was the transition right here. 
maybe starting at 18 or 19, that says, okay, I'm done with all the sin part. I'm done with the separation. Now I'm going to, this is how I'm going to get you back. Yeah, it is. It does seem, it does feel like a really, like a, a big shift here where God's like, okay, here I come. I'm coming in. And uh, when we get into chapter 60, then uh, it begins, it begins with a phrase. And I was kind of wondering if this is the beginning of the phrase arise and shine, you know, the way we yeah. try to wake our kids up in the morning. It's like, uh, it's time to get up. It's time to go. It's time to, uh, it's time to start the day, you know, arise, shine. You said that because that's what I have in my notes, that little, <laughs> little uh, jingle that we always do for our kids, Yeah, you know, and give God the glory. Yeah. How's it go? Oh, you think of the song. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Rise and shine and there give go. God the glory, glory. That's not probably my best rendition of it, but it's what you get. No, that was sure. great. Do it again, please. Rise and shine <laughs> and give God the glory, glory. I do it like uh, Bob and Larry. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Excellent. Well done. All right. Now that, now that we've all derailed that, <laughs> what other cartoon characters would you like? <laughs> So as we get into as we get into sixty and we we move forward, I had a number of question marks as to which things. And this again, we've talked about this in previous podcasts. Which things we attribute to where as we're dealing with um, prophecy is you know is this to Isaiah's day? Is this to just future in Isaiah's day? Is this to the coming Messiah? Some of it is, and Jesus quotes it in 61. We'll get to there. But um, And which things are to the far future? And I just, that, that is just as a general statement and question, not verse by verse, but just saying, well, I noticed a lot of things here that seem to be like, oh, that's probably the coming Messiah. But that part of the coming Messiah probably is the second coming of the Messiah. Just here and there, it was, there was a lot of kind of jumping in the timeline. And we've spoken about this in the past, maybe not on this podcast, but I know we have um, in past Bible studies, is that God's timing is kind of a different thing than our timing. He, mm. he sees these things as an eventual accomplishment and a process, and we want to see things chronologically, and we want to know what's next, and God doesn't always operate that way, uh, seldom does, in fact. Did any of you guys notice that, too, as we're reading through the next few chapters? You never quite know exactly when he's talking about, do you? Because, uh, I, I mean, as we read through the stories, I mean, we can see, it, it, it just seems like there's always so, it's amazing to me how God is able to put multiple applications into the same sentence because there are times when you're reading it's like that's got to be about us but then you can also see okay that's probably about them but but maybe not a complete fulfillment maybe they saw a little piece something that looks like it but like you said our timing is not god's timing you know we think so linear i can never say the word linearly sounds right that Mm -hmm. um you know, we want cause and effect to be immediate, and it's just—it's just not the way things work. The balls get rolling now that they don't—they don't become anything until way down the road, and uh, that's a—that's. I, I think some of that is like when we notice something, when we notice there's a problem, when it shows up on our personal radar, then we want a response, like, "Oh, hey." That needs to be fixed. That should be changed. That shouldn't be that way. That's unfair, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But the, I, I would just theorize that probably that, that situation has existed before we noticed it. We just, you know, and that God's been aware of it from the moment it first started. And you know what I mean? Like, just, we, I think we get impatient because we only have enough energy for certain things. There's there's a million things wrong around us all the time, but it's it's not until we notice something and then we get all possessive about it. Like, hey, now that I've noticed it, somebody needs to make a difference. And I think, too, that's how I look at it. And when I'm looking at my notes, it's like it stretches. I think we are bound to repeat stuff that 
they've done, you know, in previous kind of empires or times in history. And I think it's just long. How do we see we're just bound to re- we continue to repeat the same things. You know, we have the same problems as they did that we're seeing in today's. And I think that God's word is just applicable the entire way. And it just gives us the guidance the entire way. It does to us. Um, in chapter 60 in particular, I can see the beginning part of the chapter, you know, the, the Jesus disciples expecting a, uh, a different kind of kingdom. And I can see where they would get that from the, from, um, from, uh, from chapter 60 here, you know, it's, uh, it's paints an amazing picture of a future that is, um, I wonder, is this metaphorical? Is this literal? Is this what's going on? Is this a future that could have been but wasn't? You know, it's in verse three. It's like all nations shall come to your light. It's like, well, metaphorically, and kings to the brightness of your rising. I can see this, you know, in relation to the Messiah, seeing the Messiah. But to to, to Israel, you know, my Bible has a little, um, you know, section divider type thing with a headline, which is not part of the original text. But it says, you know, the future glory of Israel. Well, when is this? Is this political Israel? Is this God's people Israel? Is this the Messiah Israel? In chapter, verse 5, then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult. You know, or or your heart, the note of that, your heart shall tremble and grow wide. This is going to be so exciting. It's going to be amazing, incredible. And I look at this and I think, Wow, that sounds like a future Messiah, second coming type thing. I can see how they would think it's a first coming. And the disciples, verse six, I'm sure they look back at this and they get a multitude of camels shall cover you, camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and frankincense. Like, Mm. oh, wait, I know what that, I don't know. I don't know what to make some of that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when I was reading through this, I was seeing I was seeing how God was trying to get them used to the idea of diversity because Israel had been so exclusive for so long, thinking that, oh, we are the chosen children of God and we have it all, you know, it's all here. This is what's going to be great. But then uh, here in Isaiah, you're being told that, well, all these other nations as the way the new King James talks about is the Gentiles, they're going to be bringing all this wealth to you and enriching you. And to me, that was kind of like saying, this is going to be a diverse thing. We are, we're, we're, you're going to have all kinds of influence coming in from different places. And I'm not, I don't mean like, I don't mean like religious, different religious influence, but different, almost different cultural influence. And, and that's going to enrich the whole experience too. You know, because uh, they bring different perspectives, you know, different ways of of seeing God. And, yeah, I don't know. I just it, it was it, it was just kind of like open your open your mind to different to, to different ideas, different things, seeing things happen uh, a little differently than you than you thought. Um, and and, uh, and uh, not thinking that you're the only ones who are involved with it. Yeah, I can see that. But you uh, yeah, you're, you're, you know, this is like we're saying, it's such a broad, there's such a broad um, uh, application here. I think what you're saying is absolutely right, too, Eric. I think. Um, well, I don't know. I don't have a point. I'm just saying it's, yeah. it's it would be easy to imagine the disciples reading this as they're thinking that they've met the Messiah in uh, 6014. And the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion, the of Holy One of Israel. I can see reading that like, guys, this is it. Like, this is going to happen in our time. We're going to see this. And kind of their confusion, like, wait, what? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I just think there's a lot of things happening. I think there's a lot of things going on in there. And uh, I think it's less literal than they are. Well, you know, in retrospective, I think it's less literal than than the apostles were seeing at the time, because um, I don't think it happened the way they were looking for it. Yes. uh, And yet I don't believe that that means it's not true. It just means it wasn't the way they were expecting it to play out. Right. 
Right. Because we see in, in verse 19, <clears throat> we can skip back to if we want to, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall it be moon give your light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and God will be your glory. That is straight, I won't say out of, it's straight into Revelation 21, 23, and mm-hmm. Revelation 22, 5. Right. It's, it, it's, it's prophetic, yes, but it wasn't prophetic to the near time in Isaiah's day, and it wasn't even prophetic to the time of Jesus as Messiah. It's apparently prophetic towards Revelation, and it's like, whoa. <clears throat> I mean, we should read it and believe that God will do what he says he's going to do, but also be fairly careful about where we underline it on our timeline and then point to, and this is where it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think, I think, uh, I think that kind of comes true to anybody who turns back to God the way he's constantly asking, you know, if you'll, tur- if you'll turn back to God, cause that's kind of where all this starts. If you, if you, if you will turn back, then these things will, will, uh, be true for you literally or figuratively. Um, but if you, if you're turning back, then God is your light. God is the one who is guiding you right. and, and, uh, being, you know, the light light to my path or how help me out with the with the, like where's the light into yeah you know what i'm talking about <laughs> well said <laughs> yeah. thank you <laughs> uh you know you know uh but 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 yeah i think there is a a a, a an immediate context to it but it seems like it does expand prophetically so when we start talking new earth stuff, we're only going to be looking to God for our for our wisdom and for our direction. We won't, we, you know, we'll finally have a society that that's what they want and that's what they'll be doing. And and um, I'm looking to that. But uh, I mean, we can apply it to our daily lives now. God is our light. Look to God for our direction. And when we look at it in Revelation, understanding that this is going to be a broader uh, expanded thing. The way the way the chapter ended though I really liked uh that the way the people will be brought to uh will all hmm, the people will all be righteous inheriting what God has worked for. That's a that's an interesting concept to me that we'll all just step into what God has worked for. It's not our work, it's not our deeds, it's not what we've done that has inherited anything. We've just stepped into it. We're just we're just claiming it because God sets it out in front of us and like, here you go. And we're able to just uh, claim it. And that's particularly interesting since we're told repeatedly to get to work, like Mm -hmm. do these things, do these things, do these things. And so it kind of like from our human perspective, we feel like we've earned it. Right, right. But yeah, we're not. Yeah. But even then, you know, when we're doing this, when we're doing this stuff, we're just stepping, we're just stepping into what God has placed in front of us. We're, we're mm-hmm. just stepping into what's supposed to be there. It, it's still all God. Yeah. You know, and I think it's that, that just that act of, of um, putting down all the sin and iniquities and joining with the Lord and getting back to his plan of redemption and salvation that we just, we inherit it almost like. I have here in my notes, almost like the prodigal son, where the riches are still there from the father. You've chose to 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 go on your separate way and and break from there. And when you come back, you inherit it all again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's still mm-hmm. his. But I think you just basically get on board once again by um, by acknowledging him and and, you know, living by the statutes and, and the commandments. Mm hmm. Yeah, God God uh, set up the party and he invited you and you just have to go, yeah. you know, when you show up for a party and you go to the snack table, and there's me with food, uh, <laughs> but you show up at the snack table, you know, you didn't earn anything by stepping through the door. You didn't earn anything by walking over to the table and you didn't earn anything by grabbing a handful of chips. It was all there for you to be to take part of to begin with. And it's God who who set it all up. So. Um, yeah, it's absolutely not. You're not earning anything. You're just participating. 
Right. And I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit, uh, I think. In 6110, I uh, will greatly rejoice in the Lord, and my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He mm-hmm. has covered me with the robe of righteousness, which sounds an awful lot like one of Jesus' parables about a banquet and garments <laughs> being provided. And all the way to Revelation, we put on what God gave us it's grace many times there's the idea that the old testament oh we earned this we kept the commandments we did the thing we had a covenant and this this is old testament theology right here is that god is the one giving it to us Mm -hmm. so if all of our righteousness is is as filthy rags then that explains why we need new banquet clothing Yeah. yeah and he provides it yep right all right, since we've stepped into uh, Isaiah 61 here, it's, there's, uh, there's some big-time messianic prophecy here. Yes. When, even in the first couple of verses, talking about right. what, he, what his mission is going to be. He lays yeah. out the blueprint. Right, right. And it's just, oh, gosh, it just, it, I, I don't know. Like Eric said, I guess I can see how, when it came to Jesus' time, that people were expecting something different. But when I read this, and maybe it's because I'm reading it in hindsight, but when I'm reading this, I'm reading exactly what Jesus said he was going to do, but I can at the same time kind of see how they would have maybe expected something a little different here. But it talks about... I think, too, if you look at it, you know, maybe they were looking for when he's saying he's he's putting on his armor, he's, you know, he's going to take back the things that have have, um, been taken away or that have been lost. Maybe that's where they were seeing that it was going to be you know, this huge military effort and it was going to be a physical kind of conquer. But he, you know, if you look at 61, he's laying out the point that, you know what, I'm going to bring, uh, preach good tidings to the poor. Yeah. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to present liberty to the captives. I'm going to open the prisons for those who are bound. To me, that's more on a personal note, that personal blueprint of salvation. So, but like you're saying, I could see both both aspects maybe it's mm-hmm. it's you know dependent on that human heart are you looking for heavenly things or are you looking for earthly treasures that's the thing right there is that i think that they people could find what they were looking for because isaiah 53 is there you know i mean it's just it's there for seeing and reading and i believe that they they had their eyes focused on many in in jesus day had their eyes focused on a political kingdom, a political movement. That's what they were interested in, not so much spiritual things. And Jesus had to spend a lot of time explaining to them, that's, that is not what I'm after here. Um, so they're all in here. The, these things are all here. But I, I believe what people were willing to see and how they were willing to shift depended on what they were what their what their heart was set on where their heart was so there's this idea generally accepted as modern science that humans are deficit based so we tend not to notice the things uh, that we need until we're lacking them Hmm. and that our most basic temporal needs occur to us first. Does that make sense? So if we're missing air, all of our focus suddenly is on air. We've never noticed air before in our life, but suddenly we're missing air and it becomes our primary goal, right? If you become homeless, your attention immediately shifts to what you don't have, right? So that's what I mean when I say that human beings tend to be deficit-based, our attention. So I think that if you think about what was going on in Jesus' time, what was going on with Israel, God's chosen people, they're under the thumb of Rome, they're focused, right? The need for our need for salvation, for sanctification, for justification, for grace— All of those things never change. Our attention changes based on what we need in that moment. So 
for Israel in Jesus' time, they're under the thumb of an oppressive foreign government. So all that they want is freedom from that and national independence and all of the things that they imagine that. And so here comes Jesus and he's preaching truth and freedom and sovereignty and a relief from all of these things that they're experiencing. They view it through their deficit-based lens, right? And we do that now. I mean, everybody does this all the way through humanity's history. But that I just I think that that's what this is based on. And God's call is always to look to the spiritual world because that is where he's working. But think about how Jesus approached it when he came to preach. He would sit down in front of a huge group of people and their stomachs would be clamoring. Their illnesses would be clamoring. Fine. Here's food. Here's healing. He'll, he would get rid of those immediate body needs, those lower needs, so that you could hear what he was actually offering. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, often, uh, not always, but he, he, he did that on occasion, yes. especially the long-term suffering type things. He was yes. very focused on that, which is kind of what Isaiah 61 here at the very beginning says that he's going to do. Which, by the way, if you want the New Testament reference, you can see where Jesus reads this himself, which had to be pretty surreal um, in Luke 4, 18 to 21. As he re- Jesus reads this in the synagogue and he puts it down, he says, which is interesting because he, he read Isaiah 61, 1, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped reading right there. He did not continue and read, and the day of vengeance of our God, because he knew that's where they would go. And mm-hmm. so he just stopped right there, which I think is like, wow, that's pretty interesting. He split the verse. <laughs> and mm. He said, this, this part I'm doing now, right here. And he just left the rest of it to be kind of a I mean, in the middle of the sentence as as we have it as i understand it hebrew doesn't have the punctuation like we do but he just left that part out like that's not now and the, the end of chapter 60 it says he says something very interesting i am the lord in its time i will hasten it and it's kind of like well this is the time for this but not for that and that's what he does he calls the things that he needs to do and he calls us in in like in two and three and in, in the, the the ministry of a, of a Messiah that we know of as Jesus. But then verse five didn't happen then. Strangers shall t- stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. That didn't happen in right. Jesus' day. Right. You know, and I have in my notes that, and I don't know, maybe I'm an offshoot at this point. But the strangers, to me, that was Gentiles with the message. Did, is that how you guys took it, or am I just off? That's an interesting way of looking at it, I guess. I didn't take it that way. But and it didn't happen during Jesus' time. It happened afterwards when he sent them to give the message to everyone else. But, you know, I looked there, and right where Eric stopped in the beginning where he talked about the day of vengeance for our God, but I also see him repairing what was damaged and then saying, you know what, there have been, to me, in, in my notes, I have that there were previously times that were better. And I'm going to rebuild the old ruins. I'm going to raise up the former desolations. I'm going to repair the ruined cities. And to me, that's almost like repairing of the the relationship that's been severed. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah, I'm just, I'm, I get my point is, is like, it's, it's complicated as we read this. And to Karen's point is like, God is primarily concerned with the spiritual dimension Mm-hmm. of our experience not not that he doesn't care about our health or he doesn't care about not that he isn't interested in those things but he is primarily interested in our spiritual journey right yeah and that's you know i think maybe that's a part that sometimes we have difficulty with because we want to see we want to see that physical healing and jesus did provide that physical healing sometimes but it was always in the context of someone's spiritual healing i never saw jesus just giving handouts i never saw him just 
just randomly going in and healing somebody. It was always, you know, what would you like me to do? Go and sin no more. There was always a message with it. It was, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just handing a buck to this guy on the side of the road. It was often, but not always, you know, he, he healed those 10 lepers and he sent them all off and well, there was no sermon at all. It was just like, okay, go be true. healed. And one, only one came back and was thankful, which speaks to Karen's point about the deficit part. As soon as they weren't lepers anymore, they're like, woohoo, that's over. And one of them was like, hey, wait a minute, this is actually pretty awesome. And he came back and thanked Jesus. Mm-hmm. So these are not, these are not bumper sticker answers. And they're right. just, they're more complicated than this. Yeah. 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 And none of this is easy because in order for us to see or it, in order for us to see God's plan, we have to step out of our own nature. And we know that, you know, we have to die to the flesh and we have to live in Christ. And we, like we know all of those things, but it can get so hard when the needs of the world are so in our face, when the needs of our life are so in our face, it can be very, very difficult to continually buy into and step into, intentionally step into the plan that meets those higher needs. Mm -hmm. But that's what it is, and that's what it's there for. It is there for the ultimate, for our ultimate destiny, not for our destiny in this moment here. Yeah, so there's some some description of what the Messiah's mission is going to be. Talks about, well, yeah, you talked about the vengeance, and now he didn't really go into that in verse 2. And I was kind of seeing that... uh, you know, he's kind of proclaiming, how do you put it, the the acceptable year of the Lord. To me, that was kind of like proclaiming uh, a bit of grace and then going into the vengeance part. And to me, I was wondering, you know, is that is that really the same thing, depending on what your perspective is? You know, some people will see our salvation as grace and other people will see the moment of salvation as not so great if they're not on the salvation side of it. You know, oh, yeah, 60, uh, chapter 63, verse four is exactly that for the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. It's the mm-hmm. same moment. Like, it depends on if you're the one being redeemed or being vengeanced upon. Yeah. And that, I believe, is our choice. Yeah. But yeah, so lots of thoughts of things like that. Um, yes. Consolation, restoration. Uh, verse six, I found interesting. The people which I take to be all of God's followers named as priests of the Lord. Uh, that had, that, that should have been a revolutionary thought at the time because there was only certain people who were priests and it wasn't everybody, but we're talking about how there's going to be a time when everyone will, will be considered priests. Well, everyone who's following God will be considered priests. Um, Honor instead of shame, rejoicing instead of confusion, everlasting joy, uh, verse eight, I, the Lord, love justice, though. I mean, that goes back a couple episodes, episodes um, that goes back a couple v- chapters ago when everybody's like, we don't know where to find justice. Well, here it is. You know, here it is. God loves justice. And if you just follow God, that's where you're going to find the justice. Um, should we get into 62? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Verse one, God will not hold his peace and rest until the righteousness of Zion goes forth. I like I kind of like this, that um, God wants the peace. He he wants he wants that salvation so much and he's not going to stop until he gets it. He's going to he's going to work for it. He's going to do what he's got to do for it. And he's not going to be he's not going to be happy. He's not going to be satisfied until his people are saved. And then those people become a crown of glory for God. Now, that got me thinking about some of the, the topics we've talked about in the past. We talk about this controversy, we call it the great controversy uh, between Christ and Satan in, in the universe. And, you know, why does God do what he does? Well, our salvation, our salvation here is being talked about as a crown for God. It's It's sort of like, this is a place for the universe to look and say, look, this is the way I work, speaking as God here, but um, this is the way I work. This is what I want. This is what I've worked for. You've all, as a universe, been able to see what has happened there. And look, this is, this is, uh, this is how I have worked, and this is what I've worked for. 
it sort of gives God the right to claim to the claim of being that uh, that, that king of the universe, because that's what the controversy has always been about is what does God want? Is he simply arbitrary and wants us to follow rules or is he trying to do is he trying to help us to live? And that's where all that work that he's put in uh, comes forth. It's a really pretty cool um, metaphor he's got going on there at the beginning of chapter 62. At the end of uh, verse 5, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I mean, that's pretty intense. I mean, we're we're talking about the, the pre-marriage excitement between a couple, that that's how God rejoices over us. And again, to Matt's point, is that we tended to think of the Old Testament as the smiting God. But here we have... God as the one who is so excited about us that, that the metaphor is that it's it's a groom thinking of his bride right before they're married. And that is pretty, I mean, they make movies and books out of this. Like, you can't stop this guy. You know, he's going to win the woman. He's He is going to make it to the altar no matter what. And we've chosen as a society, as that's a, one of our strongest metaphors, I mean, flawed as it is. But here it is. I mean, this is put out here in Isaiah 62. That's how much God cares about us. Yeah, and it's not like, you know, like I was saying, we become that crown for him. We're not just his reward. We're not just we're not just a thing that he desires. I mean, he does desire, but it's not. There's more to it than just getting something out of it. You know, yeah. he really, really wants to be with us. He desperately wants to be with us and that's his motivation isn't i don't think that the motivation is simply winning an argument right Uh, he you know because i i think i you know as i was speaking before i was you know i was thinking boy that really kind of that's i'm not coming across correct right but he's not just trying to win an argument here he's trying to win us yes yep really he really wants us you know (laughs) the imagery that keeps coming to me is he's he's standing out in the driveway with the boom box over his head you know, playing the love song by Peter Gabriel. You know, <laughs> <laughs> most of us can say that. anything. <laughs> I, yeah, I that's not a stretch because we see it here in Isaiah. We read that in Hosea. We um, the the reason that Song of Solomon is in here is because not only is that a husband and wife, but we can see that 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 can also be a, a metaphor for God. Jesus talks about the great banquet. And Revelation talks about banquet and parties. This is sometimes we've taken the fun out of it. It's just like, oh, this is like a legal proceeding and we can leave the courtroom and we we got our manila folder and we now we're now we're not charged guilty anymore. And this is way more uh, personal than that. Yeah. 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 Personal. That's exactly the right word to put on that. that the way he wants the way he wants us so much. Uh, verse four talks about, let me see here. I got to look at it again to remember exactly how it was being put here. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land be more, sorry, nor shall your land anymore be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. So I had to look up those words and Hephzibah means my delight is in her and Beulah is married. So it's that, it's that marriage metaphor again. And if we can put it into that context, especially of the time period where where value was placed so much on women being married and being wanted and 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 uh, ha- having somebody to take care of them. Well, I mean, you it know. was required. There was no option in that society unless you were willing to you know, be a prostitute. There was not an option to live independently. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you were in that position and felt unwanted, undesired you know, whatever. It was a death knell. So, so being here, having someone say, oh, my delight is in you and, you know, claiming you as their bride. That's a big, that's a big thing. That's a really big deal. And uh, so that's what he's saying here is your, your, your land will be called married. You will be called, um, how do I put it now? What first was that? I derailed. Sorry. But uh, anyway, I think you got the point, though, is that it just goes into what Eric was talking about, about God having that real desire for us. And I think the rest of the, the, the chapter goes on. And I was like, well, so when is this happening? Because it's all restoration. 
right? The, the rest of this is all rebuilding and restoration and and uh, satisfaction and all these are the things. I was like, when does this happen? And then it came across verse 11. Behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. So this happens, as I read it, when he comes. I read this as this portion of it anyways, as a second coming prophecy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did too. I immediately... I immediately had to go look it up. Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And uh, that was what, what was the verse there, Matt? Revelation twenty two twelve. Yep, sounded familiar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I made a note here, and I don't, you know, everyone according to his work. But we've just talked about how much of the work God's of the work that God did. And now we're talking about how people be rewarded according to their work, but the work they're doing is God's work. Yes. <laughs> you know, so yeah. um, so that was an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing to look at there. Um, it's it, this is not you. It's not you doing stuff that is is granting you this reward. You're right. you're stepping in to what God has provided for us to do. Yes. Uh, and that is where the reward comes from. You're showing up to the party, you know, you're showing up to the party and, and you get, you get to have the chips, you know? Yeah. Um, as, just, yeah, as it says, you, we've put, it goes back to 61:10. for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robe of righteousness. This is him. He's doing the saving, but we're still doing the things that are in conjunction with or or I should say that resonate with that salvation that's why John when he was preaching before Jesus do deeds in keeping with repentance that's this is not lip service and it's the book of James but never to be confused those things don't earn the salvation they simply show it Mm -hmm. Uh, before we step into 63 I wanted to point out one more verse here verse 7 I really I like this give him give him give God no rest Till he establishes, until he makes Jerusalem uh, a praise in the earth. You cannot pester God. Or, you know, it's like, just keep bugging him. Keep bugging him. Keep bugging him. Don't stop asking for this. You know, can can you pester God? Can you ask him for something too much? And it would seem, no, you can't. You know, if, if you really desire this salvation, if you really desire, just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking. It never hurts to keep asking God. Maybe, you know, I mean, there's sometimes, I mean, if you keep asking him for a new car, you know, maybe he'll give it to you. Maybe he won't, but doesn't hurt to ask. Right. You know, and and it's just like, keep going to God for those things you need, for those things you want. And, and, uh, just keep going and keep going and keep going. So you, you, I, I don't think, I don't think you can wear him out with that, with asking. Uh, so in 63, I've got. I kind of set this up interesting. This this was like an interesting question and answer session. This is the way I was seeing this. It was like uh, I'm trying to remember who is who's doing the questioning and who is doing the answering. It's almost like Isaiah is asking questions and then God is answering answering the questions because it starts out with basically who is this? Who is this? Who comes from Edom? The one who is glorious and the answer: I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. So who is this who comes from Edom? Uh, traveling, I who speak in righteousness. So it's an interesting conversation happening here. Um, but yeah, talks... I don't think he's an Edomite. I think we wouldn't want to get right. confused there. He's been to Edom. Yes. Which, if we flash back, was, as if I recall, one of the sons of Lot and that created. Basically, they were kind of a Esau, wasn't it? I, I think it was one of the sons of of Lot, but I'm yeah, I'm getting a little fuzzy about that. But the, the, the main point here is, is not their genetic uh, origin. It is the fact right. that they are metaphorically an enemy of Israel way back before they were even a nation. Like the Philistines are kind of like, and um, were an enemy of, of Israel and they're used metaphorically that way. And so are, so is Babylon. Edomites are this way too. And so this is God doing battle. And yeah, it's a pretty I mean, this chapter verses, I'm sorry, um, three to six specifically are very, very apocalyptic. Um, a lot of revelation language in here. He's he's becoming actively involved here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so the question gets asked, why is your apparel red like one who treads the wine press? And he kind of comes back, because I have been treading the wine press. And I've been doing it all by myself. Uh, there hasn't been anybody to help me with it. I've had to do it all by myself. And there's blood yeah, on my garments. Plain. There's blood sprinkled on my garments and that have stained my robes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he talks about the day of vengeance is my heart. And there was no one to help. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. God has talked a lot in Isaiah about bringing salvation. And, I mean, he's pulling no punches here. He's like... See, and, and I'm wondering, too, if, if that's like we said just a few minutes ago, that, that that's where Israel was confused or was looking to earthly gains from this. Yeah. That, you know, that... I'm going after our longtime enemies. Um, this is what I'm going to do to, you know, and I think this is, could be where they just were looking at more earthly, earthly possessions and earthly gain. I can see that. Yeah, we can see that how, how they would have, how they would have looked at this because of their perspective being so skewed by, I guess, where they were at the time. With with Rome being in place, and and of course after, you know, after they get carried away to well um, Israel to Assyria, and then later Judah to Babylon, you know they've seen their they've seen their nation dismantled and rebuilt, and and they don't want to see that happen again, and hoping that that's not going to happen with Rome. So you can see it, you can understand it, but yeah. I just want to say I looked it up who the Edomites were, and you're right, Matt. It's it's the descendants of Esau, and metaphorically, this is this the descendants of uh, Esau were kind of they weren't the same as just Jacob's children, who were children of the promise mm-hmm. in this kind of a way. It was God's fulfilling this stuff. So God is getting busy in a in a metaphorical way against people who are not. Who should have been his, but who rejected him? Yeah, and so so God has to bring the salvation, and he yes. he's making that very clear. I yes. brought the salvation. He says, "My own arm brought the salvation. My fighting, my work, is bringing the salvation." Now we get into uh, verse oh seven. I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord. I mean, there's a. You know, this is after the vengeance and all that stuff. Yeah, but I will mention another, it's another one of those transitions mm-hmm. um, that I have marked here. Is that you know what he was he was bringing the wrath and the vengeance and doing salvation on his own, and then at seven, it switched to me. It transitions into the loving kindness part, and what do you need to do? Mm-hmm. Because then we we jump down, and it basically says in ten. Oh, but they that rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit. So it's like, okay, you got to do your part. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to give you my loving kindness. I'm always going to be there for you, but you also need to do your part. Well, in verse 9, look at verse 9. I mean, how how can you look at verse 9 and think that this is only a vengeful God? In all their affliction, he was afflicted. Yes. And the with the angel of his presence is or the angel of his presence saved them, but with all of their affliction, he was afflicted. He, you know, he, when stuff happens to us, he feels it. He, I mean, how can we comprehend that? Can we comprehend that the the, the God of the universe feeling our sorrows, the God of the universe feeling our uh, our maladies? You know, when we hurt, he gets it. He understands. Um, when we get, you know, and I think we're talking about spiritual affliction. I think we're talking about physical affliction. I think we're talking about all that garbage that sin has poured onto the earth that we have to deal with, you know, with, with sorrowful hearts and aching bones and, and illnesses and sickness and all of it. And, and the God of the universe, it's, it's like, he he shares it with us, and I don't know. I can barely com- I barely. I, I shouldn't even say barely. I can't even comprehend that. But he's that's what he's saying here. He's saying I feel it. I feel it. I I know what you're going through, and I feel bad about it for you and with you, and and, and he wants to save us from it. And so that angel of his presence saves us. But 
but then you know he felt our affliction but then we rebelled you know just like tracy was talking about but then it says they remembered he says he remembered and i kind of took that as israel the, the nation of israel it says he remembered in verse 11 he remembered the days of old moses and his people saying where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock where is he uh who put his holy spirit within them you know those afflicted those afflicted people who rebelled for whatever whatever reason we rebel then remember all the things that god has done in the past and that's what it's i think that's what we're talking about right here they finally remembered and i think I don't think this is, I, I think this for the time period, I think is probably looking forward to as they are carried off and whatnot, but they remember back to the time, the glory days. When See, and I think, we, you know, when we mentioned this over and over, you know, over the last, I'm going to throw it out there, another pitch, a hundred episodes <laughs> is that, you know what? He is always there to remind them. It's like, you know what? You have had victories. You have been with me and seen my wonders don't forget that don't forget mm -hmm. that because i'm still here i'm still the same same god and that could still happen you just have to to make that that change that you just have to get on board yeah it's always the invitation just yeah. get on board so then we see just a slight shift again here as we finish up chapter 63 because the end of chapter 63 really is going to lead into 64 with our reading next week but it's the beginning of a prayer of penitence and we're starting to see now we've gone from we've we've gone from the judgment and then we've gone into god's desire for salvation his attitude of salvation and remembering his mercy and now we're starting to see a shift in the in the ideas of the people and where they're asking god in verse 15 look down and see us where's your mercy you're you're our father even though abraham never knew us now that's that's an interesting you know they consider themselves the children of abraham un understanding that promise given to abraham but they're recognizing the covenant i think given to abraham that they're all supposed to be part of this thing and so they're they're kind of calling on that 17 is was an interesting verse why have you made us stray like i mean when you read that on its face it's like as if god caused them to to fall <laughs> to, to 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 move away yeah that's uh, so strange yeah and so you know they why have you made us stray and i kind of put my own note there why did you let us why did you let us do this why did you allow this because it's not I mean, we've read enough of it. We all know this wasn't God's fault that they strayed. He's like, well, like, well, like, like the whole message has been God's always like, come back, come back, come back. And now why did you, why did you make us stray? But I mean, we've kind of talked about that, like with hardening Pharaoh's heart and things like that. God allows things to happen. But, but, you know, I guess it's an honest question to ask. Why did you, why did you let us do it? And I can, you know, I kind of see in the background going, God going, let you, you know, who, who let you? But then they ask God to come back, come back to us, which is the same thing that God is always asking for. Come back, come back. So it seems like maybe there needs to be a little perspective shift here uh, on the part of the people. But at least they're starting to look in the right direction again, because it's it's not God that is straight. It's obviously them. Um, but their their perspective on all of this is uh, may, maybe not not quite there yet but they're starting to get in the right direction. And then it, it kind of finishes off in, in the middle of this prayer here, which is where the, where the chapter ends. But basically, we haven't lived in the land very long, but we've become just like the people around it who never knew you, uh, which made me think of Matthew 7. I, I never knew you. So, so there's a recognition here, finally, that the people are at fault, that um, they, know, they know that they've strayed away, and um, and now they're trying. They are finally turning to look for that reconciliation, um, and it'll be a while before they really get it. But anyway, that's kind of where that chapter ends off, right in the middle of that prayer. And we'll probably end up reviewing that again in our in our reading for next week. But um, any last uh, any last bits anybody wants to toss in before we close it for the week? 
just remember that this is a it's a cyclical experience that they had ups and downs and at the end of it god was always there to invite them back the danger was is if they had gone so far astray they didn't want to come back mm-hmm. right and that's that's why we need that big correction that's coming up that we're, we'll end up reading about but, uh, but, I, but i think it also goes with just like eric was saying you know what but god is always there god is always standing at the door at the door knocking ready for you to invite him in it's just are you willing to do that yeah i think just like eric said it's you know sometimes they answer the call and sometimes they they don't and they stray farther away mm-hmm. and have to yeah. deal with the consequences yes it reminds me of the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal way back when, where he's like, how long will you waver between two beliefs? If God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. But stop wavering between two beliefs. You can't have it both ways, people. Yeah. Now, next week, we will finish the, the book of Isaiah. We'll read chapters 64 through 66. And then we are also going to look at Seneca. Second Chronicles 32 through 33 and Second Kings 21. That sounds like a lot, but some of that is uh, when we get into that Second Chronicles, a little bit of that is stuff we've already talked about. So that'll be a brief review. And some of that is uh, between Second Chronicles and Second Kings is basically they're just repeating each other. So we'll be able to talk oh, about those again. It'll be Second Chronicles 32 through 33. And Second Kings chapter 21, along with the end of Isaiah. So I think it'll be a good discussion. We're going to see some. We're going to see some power shift again. We're going to see the end of a, of a book, but I obviously I don't think we're going to see the end of a topic. Um, but we'll see a little power shift in Judah, and I think we're probably going to see some. Uh, yeah, it'll definitely. So there's going to be a lot of perspective shift. But, um, so anyway, while you're reading that, and while you're waiting for us for next week. Remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed every week. Share the podcast with your friends. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.